Hello and welcome to Adipod, a podcast by the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. I'm Emilio Garcia. Today, Brian Marlowe and I sat down with Paul Shetler, owner of Accelerate HQ, and Kirsty O'Sullivan of the Liberal Democrats to talk about efficiency in government and libertarianism. Enjoy the episode. So here we are back at the ATA offices, uh, and I'm happy to start the conversation about something that I think every libertarian-minded person is concerned about, which is the efficiency of government insofar as government services come into play. So we have an expert on basically turning water into dry water, which is to make government services efficient. Uh, Paul, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm not too bad. Tell, tell us about what you do to, to this uh, behemoth of government to make it actually run appropriately. Okay, so um, give it a little bit of background. So mm-hmm. I was brought into the Ministry of Justice. I'd never worked in government before to my entire career mm-hmm. in the private sector. And it was only uh, a few years ago that I did for the very first time. And I was brought into the Ministry of Justice in the UK um, to become the Chief Digital Officer. Gotcha. They had an awful lot of digital programs going on. They were offering a lot of services up to, the, to the users. Um, and they also got a 35% budget cut which they had to figure out how are they going to actually continue to keep the courts operating, the prisons operating, uh, the public guardian operating, criminal injuries compensation agency, and legal aid, as well as 35 other arms-like bodies. How do you do that when you've got like a massive budget cut? Well, you look at inefficiencies, you look at things that aren't working, you look at ways that you can save money, and you look at where your costs are coming from. And what we found a lot of cases was that a lot of the costs were due to what we call what's called failure demand. Failure demand is when people can't get something done through a cheap channel, so they go to a more expensive channel. So let's say you go to a government website. So let's say you're in Australia and you want to start a business. Well, you don't, you figure, oh, well, I'll go on the web. There's lots of government websites, right? Mm. Lots of government websites because I got to do all these things to deal with government to do that. Well, there's 1,524 of them. So <laughs> where do you go? Jesus. Where do you start, right? Mm. That's the first thing. It becomes very complicated. You, you quickly kind of give up. And the first ones you call, the first couple ones you go to will give you some clue. Well, maybe get an ABN. Oh, great! I got to get an ABN. Oh, I got to get some tax number here. I might get this, but you're still not really actually able to open a cafe in Sydney. Right. I say, right? You still got to do all these other things. You're not really quite sure what to do about it. So ultimately, after you've probably gone to a number of different call centers, after you may have gone to some shop fronts, mm-hmm. you probably say, "Well, this is kind of crazy. I'm just going to go to a lawyer, or I'm just going to go right. to an IFA, or I'm going to go to somebody to handle it for me." That's called failure demand. Gotcha. Right? The services failed the first time around, and you wound up going to more expensive channels. In the case of government, mm-hmm. you've got a whole bunch of those. Interesting. Right? And the reason why they tend to fail is real simple, is a government is very de-skilled. Mm-hmm. Like most large organizations, like banks, insurance companies, airlines, pretty much all industry before the internet, they still have the same old business models they had, but they don't have the modern skills. So if you look at like a modern company, Google or Facebook or an Apple or any or any company, you know, Uber, whoever, who's operating in a modern economy, they don't outsource their core business. No modern company does that. Government has become so de-skilled mm-hmm. that they do. And when they t- when they do that, they typically go to very expensive companies, the SAPs, the IBMs, the Accentures, charge an awful lot of money. You see these programs, $400 million, $800 million, $1.2 billion. 
And, you know, government basically isn't really involved in the delivery of them. Mm. They've outsourced it to a lot of private sector companies. These private sector companies also don't have much better skills than government do either. So you wind up getting very poor results. So what we realized was the best way to cut costs and to reduce failure demand was to operate like a modern company. Mm. And that meant to actually do the opposite of management dogma and right. insource. Take ah. actual responsibility for what we did. 100%. Stop trying to blame it on other people when things go wrong. Own it and do it. Did you outsource outsource any part of it? Did you outsource the creation of the systems that made uh, the government the the sector that you were in more efficient? Did you outsource anything at all, or did you really do it all in house? Well, so you, we would you, depending on how you view cloud technology, you could say we outsource quite a bit because mm. we te- we typically tended to use cloud. We typically would deploy on things like Amazon Web Services. Mm. It's a lot cheaper than building a data center, after mm. all. And that is that can be considered an outsourced data service, right. you know, outsourced data center. Uh, we used an awful lot of open source software, mm. right? Uh, we signed an agreement with the British government where we could reuse their code and they could reuse ours because there's no point in building it and paying for it if it's available from somebody else. And government's business is government's business. It's not that different, right. one Anglo country versus another one, particularly the UK and Australia. Right. An awful lot of similarities in terms of what they do. Mm. So it required small changes to the code, not big changes. Easy. So when you're talking about this uh, this incredible expenditure in just things that were basically running inefficiently, yeah. what I was seeing as I saw the, the distribution of spending in Australia is I saw a lot of money going into welfare, a lot less money going into education, and this big, big, big thing that said other. Is that, what we're, is that, is that the spending that you're getting rid of? Is it the other? Well, I mean, there's a lot of bloat in like public sector mm. you know, uh, services. Uh, as an example, I was reading an article a couple of weks ago. It was this like front page article in the City Morning Herald being like, Gladys Berejiklian to slash uh, public service jobs, uh, you know, 2,500 jobs. And I, and I was thinking, no, that's actually, that sounds like a lot of public service jobs. That sounds like a lot of people in the public sector. Then I looked it up. In New South Wales, and I asked the guys in the office, I said, look, New South Wales, you have a population of like, I don't know, like 6 million or something like that. How many people do you think work in the public service? Oh, 30,000, 40,000? Over 300,000 people work what? in the public service. So that's an example of the bloke, right? Now, so, so she's getting rid of like less than a percentage point of, of you know, uh, fat and people are losing their minds, you know, pretending that she's some big slash and burn, slash and burn uh, mm. politician. Now, it, it, I think coming back to Paul's point, though, is like you have these big overbloated systems. No one's really accountable. Uh, previously, when we've spoken... You know, it's all right for them to set up a program, but what are their actual deliverables? And then how do they measure those things? And that's where you get that glut and you get that bloat. So then they go, oh, that program kind of failed, so we'll just bring on more people or get more money and throw it at the same thing. Mm. Whereas at least with what Paul does, it's actually results-orientated and the whole point is to track the progress and then go, well, where did it go wrong and where can it improve? A good example would be like my health record where they spent an inordinate amount of money on it they didn't really have an idea of how they would actually... What, what were their actual KPIs? It was just right. have a health record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and Paul's written about this before in, uh, in a couple of good op-eds and does maybe see interviews about it where you know he highlights all the failures of it. And it's insane to see. Mm. It was insane because you wanted... I, I was briefed on that like my second or third week in government. <laughs> and the amount of money that had been spent by that point, I think it was over a billion, do- a billion dollars. 
And that was for 1% of the population to actively use it. So they had 10% of people signing up for that. And of those 10%, 10% of them were actually using it on an ongoing basis. And this has been going on for a few years now. They spent all this money. I'm like, so, so how much more are you going to actually have to spend <laughs> to actually get it to the point where everyone's using it and it's a mm. useful system? And you look at those numbers and say, well, obviously it's not going to work. Right. And so that's why they changed it from opt-in to opt-out. Yes. Sort of like, okay, guess what? Whether you like it or not, you're in. You're in. But the reason people didn't use it was because it didn't meet their needs. And this is right. one of the biggest problems with government services because mm -hmm. they're not actually taking ownership of the delivery. They're not actually taking ownership of the design. They don't know. You know, right. a modern business would actually check and see, is there a need for the service? Are we delivering it in the right way? Mm -hmm. If if we're delivering it in the wrong way, we'll find out really quickly because we'll see the you know the usage numbers. People will be complaining about it. They'll say things are wrong. Look at, for instance, in New South Wales. <clears throat> Obviously, slightly patriotic in the state, but nonetheless, it's true. Um, they used to have terrible user satisfaction numbers. Mm. You know, people waiting for over an hour on the phone. Right. First thing Service New South Wales did was say, you know what, we're going to take a so. If you call us, we answer the phone within a minute. Basic stuff right. that any business would be doing, but it was like a revelation <laughs> in government, right? Which is like essentially what you're saying. Yeah. In other words, is we're going to make this efficient, and that's uh, yeah, that's something and, and really and edgy. And we're going to operate like we're going to operate like any other contemporary organization that people get services from. Right. People get services from Amazon, from Uber, from all these places today, and they operate very quickly. They get you know people like the service. If they don't like it, they walk away. They go somewhere else. Right. Government, you don't have the choice, but the government starts starts have to act in that way, like like you actually do. They have to start actually listening to what users are saying. If they don't, then they get thrown out in their ear. Right. And this is where I'd like to bring you in, Kirsty, because obviously you're a high-ranking member of the LDP. So I guess you have a lot to say about this as a libertarian. Where, where, what are we doing wrong? So I know some things have to stay with government. There are some services that we're, we, we don't want to give to the private sector. Mm, but I, I mean, what is the position of the LDP? What, what should we privatize? What do we need to outsource? What, what, what's your... Uh, What's well, I guess there's not so, not as much um, particular things that we sort of need to privatise, but it's more just kind of decreasing all of that bloat. And, and then mm. uh, obviously, like in terms of government as well, like even right down into like defence, there's so much doubling up, tripling up, quadrupling up of various areas that just there does need to be a bit more of a slash and burn type things. There's so much money that is being wasted because a lot of the times I know, for example, with defence, I'm in a defence family and uh, so they'll have you know, let's say army officers with particular roles, and then they'll pay them, but then they'll also get in consultants, which are getting paid twice as much, to do the same job. So, you know, they'll be twiddling their thumbs. The people who are actually initially hired are sitting around twiddling their thumbs while these consultants come in. They charge three, four, five times the price, and then they go over and nothing much changes anyway because then it's got to go to the next meeting and then the next mm -hmm. meeting and the next meeting, and that's going to go to government. And there's just everything just takes so long and there's just so much doubling up. So in terms of more of a, a libertarian or liberal Democrats sort of um, line of thinking, it's really just we, we know we're not going to, uh, you know, go into a full privatised, mm. you know, user pays type system. That That's crazy. Right. Um, but we certainly need to decrease the size of everything and then figure out where all that bloat is, figure out where that doubling up is happening and mm. clean it up. And as you were saying before, Brian, about the um, the small percentage uh, in New South Wales of public servants that were getting cut. The same thing's happened in Queensland mm -hmm. where with the last, with the current mm -hmm. government where they've gone in and all they've done is just expand, expand, expand. Um, and that was a previous thing, uh, the previous government in Queensland, that was their issue. Like, oh my gosh, they're cutting all these jobs. 
And same thing, it was like less than 1% of the public mm. service were getting their jobs cut and some of them are sitting around twiddling their thumbs. Yeah, yeah. it's like, so, you know, the, the secretary for the department of like Upper West Farmers <laughs> Oyster Appreciators. Like, just, just some meme group that shouldn't exist. Yes, like, exactly. And you get duplications. So you have state education departments and they actually do run schools mm. and pay for the relevant public schools. You have a federal education department mm. doesn't run a school. There's not a single school that it runs. Mm, it barely it has input on anything other than absorb millions and millions of taxpayer dollars yep. to do what? Uh, those are like those examples of bloat. And, mm. you know, there will be ANCAP libertarians that go out there and go, look, if the government's not getting rid of all of it right now, then, you know, we're all statists and that's not good enough. Well, it doesn't work like that. Whether it's Liberal or Labor, yeah. a major party is going to run a, a department that's overbloated. So at the very least, you need to make sure that if they're going to take your money and they're going to throw it up throw it up against the wall to run something that you may not necessarily think should exist, at least they should do it efficiently mm. or, or as efficiently as a government program should run, mm. uh, which it, it, it goes back to uh, what David Leinholm used to say, which is, you know, when governments take away your rights, they don't tend to just flick a switch and take something away. It's, you know... Mm. Take, it used to say it's like cutting away to salami and then all of a sudden you go, holy shit, yeah. where are all my rights gone? Right. That really plays, you can plays do the same, into... Oh, sorry. But you can do the same thing with government, right? Mm. So you slowly start chipping away and going, okay, well, this department can be more efficient. Mm. This department actually probably shouldn't exist because there's already six <laughs> other departments at different state levels that, that do this. That's right. Um, and then, yeah, in 20 years' time, maybe you go, oh, yeah, we, we don't yeah. have so much glut and, and bloating. So get rid of dinos, which is like department in name only or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So, so like in the UK, so Boris Johnson, not, not that I'm a big Joe Boris Johnson fan, but nonetheless, mm. Boris Johnson has said basically, you know, he's came out with a list of departments he wants to eliminate and mm. merge. And basically, it's 50% of the government departments mm. wants to merge them. Okay. Eliminate because actually they're they're duplicating. You've got four different departments that deal with foreign policy. Mm. Why? Why? Right. Yeah. You know things like this. You know? So the name of the game, just to be clear, is making government more efficient, not privatizing different parts of the government. Mm. Is that is that more or less what you're saying? Streamlining. Streamlining. <laughs> and then we have like on the cab ride here, um, mm. the cab driver was telling me we're talking about the homeless people in Sydney, and right. uh, and you know, and he was sort of talking about you know we're spending all this money doing this and that and. Is why there shouldn't even be homeless people. And it's like, and he said, you know, the government needs to do something about this. We need more money. I'm like, well, there's enough money. Yeah. We're already paying enough taxes. We're paying more than enough taxes. It's just that it's being wasted in the wrong areas. You know, the, not only the, the doubling up and quadrupling up or whatever, but, you know, when you look at government grants for, for stupid things as well. Like, for example, in, yeah, exactly. Whether it be weird art grants, but um, we've got a thing happening in Victoria at the moment with... Um, like the e-waste, getting rid of the e-waste and recycling a lot of the e-waste, which is a big issue down there. Um, they're giving these $100,000 government grants to people and all they're doing is building a shed and putting the batteries, et cetera, in the shed. So you can put up a shed for ten grand, and you've just made yourself a hundred, you know, ninety grand out of the government. And th this is happening. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this is happening all around Melbourne. Right. Well, this is what you were referring to, Paul, which is to, it, basically government seems to be measuring their success in how much money, how they, much spend. money they spend. Yeah. So government, they just think about it. Yeah. The government yeah, yeah. will very frequently talk about inputs, and I've noticed this is much more true in Australia and other places. By the way, mm. uh, it's nowhere near as true in the UK. So it's much more of an Australian disease. Mm. But you will hear politicians and they'll say, you know, yeah, you know, we have tripled spending mm. on education. We yes. have quadrupled spending on domestic violence and this and that and everything yes. else, right? 
yeah, but what's actually happened? That's Have you right. got better results? You know, mm. Because they can't actually measure the outcomes. And this gets back to what Brian was saying, but also to the point uh, the points we were making by others in the room at the same time, which is you've got an awful lot of government splits. You've got a policy and delivery split in government. For instance, the federal government, you've got Department for Social Services, and you've got Department for Human Services. Mm -hmm. Department for Social Services does the policy around social services, and then they say, okay, human services, you deliver it. Yeah. Human services will then do something like robo-debt, which is a disaster, mm. and they'll say, well, it wasn't our fault. Our implementation was brilliant, but the policy was crap. The policy people will say, well, no, our policy was brilliant, but your implementation was crap, right? So there's, there's this in, built-in tendency to shift blame. Yeah, no accountability. None, none yeah. right? And then you've got the split between federal and state. Mm. So the Department of Education, like you're talking about, Brian, right? you got federal, state. Education is delivered at the state level. Policy is largely done at the federal level, right? Again, there's no way of actually tracking outcomes from this policy up there to what's delivered in the state. Mm -hmm. Then states will often say, well, you know what? We don't actually have the resources to do this. We're going to actually outsource this work to NGOs. Uh, so you can actually have situations where you have a federal policymaking agency delegating responsibility to the state, the state then delegating it out to NGOs, and there's no information going back up to the policy agency to actually judge was this a good policy? Was this a bad policy? Is the money we're spending giving a result? Is it not giving a result? So it becomes very difficult to actually be efficient in many ways because almost some inbuilt tendencies working against it. Yeah, and, uh, look, I think just to, to, to wrap up, what you also get was when you get these splits between different government agencies, you also get, like you highlighted, sort of a split of responsibility. So so an example would be I've ri I have written to local councils on certain policies uh, related to some of the stuff we do at the ATA, and then they go, uh, this is actually a health department issue, mm -hmm. so you need to write to the health department. Okay, I write to the health department. Health department comes back to me two months later and goes, uh, this relates to local government, you need to write to local government. So then I send that letter to local government, they come back and go, Oh no! Uh, this is still a health. Like it's, it's this thing where they, there's no clear defined roles of who does what. Yes. There's a random federal or state level thing that oversees a lower level, uh, you know, program of which is similar, and none of them are communicating to each other or tracking what their progress is, and then they point blame, and there's no way to find a, a way through the quagmire. Right. Exactly. So now imagine that you're not somebody like you who are, is heading up an organization which already has a bit of influence, but imagine you're just the average person. Yeah, so getting back to the initial example I gave, you want to start a business. To do that in Australia, you've got to do an awful lot of different things. You've got to deal with federal agencies, you've got to deal with state agencies, you've got to deal with local licensing authorities, mm. and there, although you've got 1,524 different federal websites and God knows how many thousand state websites and local websites, mm. there's no single place that you can go that will tell you what you need to do to do what you need to do, mm. which is kind of crazy, right? You just want to start a business. You don't want an ABN. No one wants an ABN. No one wants a tax file number. People want to start a business. They don't want a license either. Yeah. They actually want a business started. How do they get to that outcome? But government doesn't represent itself that way in Australia to the users. Mm. But imagine any other large organization that did that, that had real problems. Yeah, it's called bankruptcy. <laughs> okay, well, um, this has been a really interesting and productive chat. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. And to our uh, listeners, please tune in next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Adapod, a podcast by the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. If you care to know more about the ATA, visit their website, 
www.taxpayers.org, where you'll be able to see their mission statement, their projects, campaigns, objectives, and so much more. Remember, listening to the podcast is free, but creating it isn't. If you'd like to continue to see the Australian Taxpayers Alliance advocacy, please consider becoming a member or donating. You can do this on their website as well. This has been Adipod. We'll see you next time.